The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. to the tabernacle. We're glad that you're here. Um, those of you that are joining us from uh, Manistee, um, we're glad that you're here as well. Wherever you're dialing in, this is the tabernacle. We're a place that loves God, we love people, and we're here to make disciples. You picked a good weekend because we're looking at the life of Gideon. And uh, if you're here last weekend, I'll let you know uh, uh, what you heard. And if you weren't, I'll let you know what you missed. Uh, we've been covering the book of Judges uh, an Old Testament book of the Bible, which means it's from way back, thousands of years ago. It was a dark time when uh, God's people were struggling to obey him. Can anyone relate? One, okay, three of us are honest. I don't know if there's any hands in Manistee, right? They're struggling to obey. And what happens is when we struggle to obey God, we, we take the good things that God intended for us and we turn good things into God things, meaning we make idols of them, we worship them, and that gets us distracted. And when we worship anything or anyone other than God, that will always let us down, and it always leads to suffering because of the consequences of our own sin. But in the book of Judges, just like today, God offers us salvation. God offers us an opportunity to obey, an opportunity to have victory, an opportunity to overcome. And in the book of Judges, he tends to use these men and women as saviors, if you will. They can't literally do any of the saving, but God calls them to lead the people back to the heart of God, back to obedience, and to overcome their enemies that oppress them. And so this guy Gideon, last weekend, we looked at the fact that he was called by God. God called him a mighty warrior, even though he was a weak, kind of a cowardly guy, a guy that was actually threshing wheat in secret. But God called him and said, I got a plan to deliver my people and you're the plan. And of course, Gideon, uh, he wasn't really buying it because he knows he's a weak man. But a weak man with God on his side, big things can happen. Do you agree? So we're going to pick up the story. Uh, We're actually going to pick up at the tail end of Judges chapter 6. Uh, And we'll pick up in verse 36. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. While you're turning there, let me just point out a couple more things that will help us, not just this weekend in, in this message, but as we go through the rest of the Bible, is there's only one hero 
in the book of Judges. There's only one hero of the Bible. And I got a spoiler alert for you. It's not Gideon. Now, Gideon's a dude. I guess he's kind of used heroically. But the real hero is God. And secondly, just because it's an Old Testament book in a dark time, in a, in a warring time, it doesn't mean that it doesn't point to the gospel because everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus is the hero of the gospel. So what we're going to look at is the one true hero who is God. We'll make him our focus. And also, we're going to look at how this points us to the gospel. Not just the gospel that saves us, but the gospel that can save us right now. Make sense? All right. With that in mind, we'll jump right in uh, with uh, the second part of Gideon's calling in verse 36 of chapter 6. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to rescue me, or or to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Now, before we move on, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I've heard a lot of sermons on this, some of them good, some of them not so good. In fact, we have a lot of Christians that have made a habit of, you know what, we need to buy some wool because I don't know what to do and maybe we should do this old fleece test, right? Keep in mind one thing. Gideon is hearing the word of the Lord. Gideon is hearing from God and Gideon's still afraid. But also keep in mind, Gideon doesn't have a Bible. Did anyone connect those dots? Well, thanks for being honest. (laughs) He doesn't have a Bible like we do. He doesn't have access like we do from or for what God expects from us and what God says to us. The majority of God's will has been made plain to us. Most of us just haven't had the opportunity or haven't taken the time to really explore what God has for us. And so, uh, uh, you know, some people say, well, Gideon shouldn't have tested the Lord by putting a fleece out there. He doesn't, he's not rebuked for it. In fact, if anything, I see the fact that God's really, really patient with him. And Gideon wants to make sure because he's a man of weak faith. And so we have the thing with the fleece and it is what it is. Let's keep going. Chapter seven, verse one. So Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, remember that means, you know, they changed his name to let Baal contend for himself. So Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites... The Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home. 
leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them, determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Now, I've also heard a lot of sermons on this. And if you haven't, that's okay. I was born and raised in the Christian ghetto, so I'm going to say that a lot, okay? That means I was a preacher's kid. I was a missionary kid. We were there on Sunday morning, at Sunday school, and on Sunday night, and on Wednesday night. And even if there was anything special, I was there. I can't afford therapy, and you're here. So there you have it, okay? <laughs> so I've heard a lot of sermons, some willingly, some against my will. Here's the point. Here, don't miss the big point. Don't miss the forest for the trees. According to Judges chapter 8, the enemy has, according to my math, if it's not very good, 135,000. That's how many the bad guys have. The enemy hordes that come down and ravage the crops and rape and pillage and make everyone hide in their caves. The enemy is 135,000 strong. Gideon's got 32,000 and God says, there's too many of you. There's too many. Yeah, there's too many. Here, announce that anyone who's just a little bit afraid can go home. No shame. Hey, any of you guys afraid? 22,000 go, yeah, we'd really rather be home. And he's like, go. His army's 10,000. And the Lord says, there's still too many. There's still too many. And he separates them by how they drink water. And I've heard some people, well, because if you cup like this, you're a watchful guy. No, none of that's right. God tells us why he reduces them to 300. He says, because if you win this, you're going to think it was you. You're going to boast. God knows the heart of man. Verse 7. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home. But he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, get up. Go down into the Midianite camp for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah. Listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Purah and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can mean only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Don't you love the Bible? 
I mean, it gets so graphic. I mean, it's so random. Has anyone ever had a random dream? I'm married to someone who has those almost every night. Morning coffee includes, you know what I dreamt last night? Here we go. Right? So God takes 300 and uh, he says, tonight's the night we're going to attack. But just because I know that you're the weak faith guy, I know that, you know, you did all the fleece thing and now you're still kind of wondering before the attack, go on a scouting mission and Gideon sneaks down in the dark with his, with his ser- servant on a little two man scouting mission, doing an army crawl. I don't know if that's what they called it back then, but. And he overhears these guys having a convo. And it's like one of the dudes is going, bro, I had the craziest dream last night. I don't know why they're from California, but. (laughs) In this bit, they're from California, right? What'd you dream, bro? And he's like, there was this big giant loaf of bread. It was rolling down the hill and it knocked over my tent. And the other guy's like, it can only mean one thing. Those are the dots I was talking about connecting. (laughs) It can only mean one thing. Gideon's going to win. Little does he know, Gideon's got 300 bros that drink a certain way. And he's facing 135,000. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship before the Lord. I mean, right there in the dark, he praises God. Thank you, God. It's on. Time to get some. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands and they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. With the 300 Israelites, or when the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Bethshitta. That's fun to say. Um, <laughs> I should have practiced that. Near Z- Zerah and to the border of Abel Mehola near Tabith. Let's stop right there. Here's the point. It was a great victory. And how random is the victory? How random is the victory? Gideon comes back in the middle of the night, divides him into three groups of a hundred. We're going to attack in the middle of the night and we're attacking with clay jars with fire in them and trumpets. And it's a simple plan. When you hear me blow the horn, you guys blow the horn. We're going to, you know, 
three sides and all of a sudden the middle of the night right after the changing of the guard you hear sounds that are blazing and all of a sudden lights come up on the hills and then they're shouting for the Lord and for the Gideon. I don't know how many guys heard the little, you know, freaky dream about bread. But it says that they turned on each other. And those who weren't killed fled. And if you read the rest of the chapter, it turns into a rout. 300 men begin to chase them. And in the panic and the confusion, they're putting men to the sword. And it is a great victory. It ends with three enemy commanders, enemy kings, beheaded and their heads brought back to Gideon. Boom. Victory. Now, how do we apply it to us? And what is there in here for us? Because this is one of those stories. If you've been around church, if you've read the Bible, Gideon's one of the most famous judges. And this is one of the most famous victories. But it points to the gospel and it points to how God works with us. And the way it's going to make sense is if you start with, consider right now, what are you facing? What did you bring to church with you this weekend? Is it something relationally in your home? Is it something with the future uncertainty? You know, is it something that God has called you to do and you're wondering, was that really God or was that really just because, you know, a church is effective at communicating stuff? I'm not sure if that was really for me. That was probably for the guy sitting next to me. I just didn't duck in time. We all have different things that we face. We have conflict. Some of us, it's fear, just like the song that we sing sometimes in church. We sang it this weekend about fear and depression, shame and confusion, right? It's, we all have a battle that we're facing. And we all have a God who loves us. And if we're in relationship with this God, he's got a purpose, he's got a plan, and he's got a direction. There can be victory. You see, we've said it before, we'll say it again. The gospel's not just for someday. And I'm sick and tired of that. I'm sick and tired of people who are like, well, you know, me, me and God, we, you know, we've had it out. You know, he knows how I feel about him and I know how he feels about me. We're good. And then the rest of your life, you live for yourself. And then you wonder, where is this God? You're just like, I'll meet him at the end when I take my last breath. I was at a deathbed this week. They don't know how long she has. And I don't want to go. It's always hard. But then every time I go, I'm so glad I went. So glad to sit there and hold somebody's hand who, can barely, who can't even speak. But can you hear me? Squeeze my hand. You're going to be with the Lord soon. You don't have to be afraid. Squeeze my hand. You want me to pray for you? Squeeze my hand. Those are special moments when it's when life and death are so close. But you know, we live with that thin reality right now. You could be a student in the prime of health, middle age, oh, everything's good. Why do we have to get so aggressive? Because the gospel isn't just for when we pass over. The gospel is for right now. It's to set us free right now. It's for victory right now. And it doesn't mean life is going to be rainbows and unicorns. There's a purpose when we're tested. There's a purpose when trials come. There's a purpose when we face the Midianites like hordes of locusts. We can get something from God's word. And here's the first thing. I I think it was clear to me. I don't know if it was clear to you. But God speaks in ways we can understand. 
God speaks in ways we can understand, that we can all understand. You see, some of us have this idea that God is just all high and lofty and he only talks to preachers or he only talks to like really, really crusty people, really old crusty people, you know? No offense to old and crusty people, we love you too. Or to really, really holy people or people that are in church all the time. No, this is a God who speaks in ways that you can understand. That's how he speaks because he knows that you need to hear from him. And we see all of that in the story of Gideon. God, I believe, audibly spoke to Gideon in some kind of a whisper. Now, he doesn't speak the same way to me. I have never heard the audible voice of God, but God's spoken to me. Most often, he speaks to me through his word. So if God speaks to Gideon, that's his word. And if God whispers to me through this word, it's the same speaking. It says in the book of Hebrews, which helps us understand the Old Testament and helps us answer so many questions, the very first two verses in the book of Hebrews, this is what it says. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, get this, he has spoken to us through his son. Through his son. Can we put that back up there just for a second? He has spoken to us through his son. Back in the day, it was through a prophet. Back in the day, it was only through one judge like Gideon. But in the final days, who's the son? Say his name. Jesus. Jesus. Through Jesus. You want to know what God's speaking? Do you know what? Or you want to know what God is saying? All you have to do is look at Jesus. You want to know what God thinks about you, how he acts, how he operates, what's his plan, what's his purpose? Look at Jesus. How do you look at Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got four biographies right there. Scripture says about Jesus, it says that in the beginning was the word. It says that the word was God. The word was with God. The word was there since the beginning. The word is another name for Jesus, the son. The son. God speaks to us in ways that we can understand. You know what's so interesting in 2019? Is Christians might have a bad name. The church might be given a bad name by culture, by, you know, media, whatever. You know, haters. Haters gonna hate, right? But you know who still has a good name after 2,000 years? Jesus. I mean, I'm even talking to people who don't believe in God. It's like, oh, Christians, they're, they're, they're. well, you know, Jesus is pretty cool. Because that's how he speaks, through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus affirmed his word. He said this was his word. And so when I say that God speaks in ways we can understand, God speaks in ways that you can understand. Primarily, he speaks to us through his word. You know, some people might say, well, you know, I go to church, but all they want me to do is read my Bible. It's so you can hear how God speaks. Why do we preach from the Bible? Why do we preach for 37 minutes if we're lucky? Because we're looking at how God speaks. How many of us, we go to a counselor, we go to a preacher. I just want to know what God's saying. That's why we're spending all this time in his word. That's why we're a scripture-based church. God speaks through his word. He just doesn't speak through his word, though, to Gideon, nor to us. He also speaks through people. God speaks through people. In this case, it was the enemy guard. Hey, bro. I had this really weird dream, man, about bread. 
Primarily, God will speak through godly people around you who have your best interest in mind. But I'm not going to limit God. Sometimes God speaks through our enemies. Now, that doesn't mean we listen to every word. Otherwise, like a ping pong ball, right, or a, or a, or a pinball, we're just going to be knocked around in every direction because there's so many people saying so many different things. But watch this. You know that people are being used by God to speak to you if it is confirmed by his word. If it's not contrary to his word, then you know what? God might be using that person to also speak to you. Word first, now it's a person. God can also speak to you through circumstances. How do you see that in the story with Gideon? Gideon was sent to the camp. In the circumstance of being in the camp in the middle of the night, hiding in the bushes, that's how he heard the word from a person. Yeah, God can use circumstances. Happens all the time. It happened to me just in my life, just just barely a week and a half ago. I'll tell you, one of the persons that God speaks to all the time, it drives me nuts is my wife. Holy Spirit in my life. And there's a circumstance and her word, it's confirmed by what God wants and then it's like, oh, I hear you now. I'm sorry, I'm such an idiot. God will speak through circumstances, through people, never contrary to his word. You know, some of us get in bad circumstances and then are like, you know what? Uh, Things are going really bad. I think I'm just going to divorce her. Sorry, that's not me talking. I'm, I'm saying, I mean, we're good, I think. <laughs> I'm saying the guy that just wants to check out. No, no, that's how you feel. That's not confirmed by God's word, right? And then the last way that God speaks, and I see it in this story, is God tends to confirm or affirm the way he speaks, sometimes in the weirdest ways, but they're customized just for you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you've you've heard that before, that God speaks through his word or, you know, wise counsel, that's other people or open doors, closed doors. Although I don't really like open door, closed door. You know what I'm talking about? Well, there was an open door, so I walked through it. Some open doors you shouldn't walk through. Or, you know, sometimes you hear, well, there was a closed door, so I just didn't go. Some closed doors need to be kicked down if if God's telling you. So you got to be careful with that. But I've noticed that God tends to affirm or confirm what he's saying to us individually, just like he did with Gideon. So imagine this, Gideon comes back, guys, wake up, we're going to attack, we got to split them in three groups of, of 100, this group's going with me, you guys are going on the right flank, you guys are going on the left flank, take your horns, you got your, your fire pots, and then we're going we're gonna to blow the trumpets. Uh, Gideon, how do we know this? Oh, Bread. He didn't say that, did he? Because if I'm one of the guys that's a little bit fearful and Gideon's like, dude, bread. We're facing 135. But for whatever reason, I don't know if Gideon really liked bread, if he thought bread was fearful. Maybe Gideon was gluten intolerant. I don't know. But for whatever reason, it was custom to him. When you've been walking with Jesus for a while, sometimes he will affirm something to you in a way that almost seems comical to other people. But I believe those are from God. 
I remember sometime where, you know, I'd read something in God's word and had been wrestling with it. And then I heard somebody talking about it. And then, and I just so happened to be in a circumstance and I tried to put it out of my mind. And then three weeks later, I'm sitting in a movie. And all of a sudden, there was a line in a movie. And if I said it, it would sound so dumb to you, you'd kick me out of here for being a heretic. But it wasn't a word for you. It was for me. And God tends to do that. Now, if you're just looking for the custom thing, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'll say yes if this light turns green. You're being an idiot. Because the light eventually is going to turn green. Or red or what have you. Right? Don't test God that way. But he'll give it to you when he decides. Because God speaks in ways that you can understand. You can trust that. And then the second thing, the bigger thing, the biggest thing is exactly what God said. He said, you're too many. You're 32,000 versus uh, uh, this 135,000. Those are too great of odds. And then when it was down to 10,000, yep, still too many. You see, God will not share the glory for salvation with you or anyone else. And he's also telling us something that is right to the bedrock of the gospel. And that is you can't save yourself from the situation that you're facing and for daggone sure, not for eternity. Your good cannot possibly outweigh your bad. You cannot give enough. You cannot serve enough. You cannot be moral enough. You cannot. Only God can win this. Now, he, need to, he, he asked for 300 guys to blow ram's horns and shout. But make no mistake, who gets the glory for this victory? That was a real, that was a real question. Who gets the glory for this victory? God. We see this giant army turn on themselves. You see, God saves by grace through faith. That's how God saves. God saves by grace through faith. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. The Israelites did not deserve being saved. They did not deserve victory. For the millionth time, they'd run after false gods. For the millionth time, they're living in denial. For the millionth time, they find themselves crying out to God, help me, why isn't this working, whatever. And God sent them a preacher, and then he sent them Gideon. But they still didn't deserve to be saved. It was only God's grace, and God's grace right here, God's grace shows up. And to prove it, he says, I'm going to have 300 defeat 135,000. If my math is right, those odds are 450 to 1. That's how we're going to do this. God saves by grace. And by grace... Through faith. Whose faith? Gideon's faith. Gideon still had to do something. And not only that, the 300 guys. The 300 guys plus Gideon, those guys still had to obey. That's faith. Do you see that? It's God's grace. It's his power. It's his plan. It's his purpose. He does all the work. It's their obedience. And that's what faith is. Faith isn't wishing Faith is when your feet match the hope. When your feet and hands match the belief. And you say, all right, we're doing this. 
Imagine how scared you were in the middle of the night knowing there's 135,000. He's like, for real? I got a trumpet and a jar and some fire in it. Here we go. But just a little bit of faith and God saves and it's a huge victory. But you see, that's always how God saves. It says in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, it mirrors this passage. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Why? It's, it's not by works so that no one can boast. That's the same thing that God said to Gideon. You are too many. There's too many of you. And I don't want Israel to boast that they got this win. This is my win. This is my victory. This is my glory. So that you'll know how much I love you and how deep my grace is for you. Do you see that? I don't know what's going on in Manistee, but Buckley is entirely not excited enough about God's grace. You know, I was thinking about that during the worship in this service. Probably my two favorite words. My favorite is Jesus. My second most favorite word has got to be grace. Grace. How are we saved? By grace. You don't earn it. You're not good enough. You never will be. But it doesn't matter. Because grace gives us what we don't deserve. And God did it for Gideon. He did it for Israel. He did it so that they wouldn't boast. And he'll do it for you. He'll do it for me. I mean, even think about it, right? Even in the dream. How do you boast about, dude, this guy had a dream and he dreamt that I was a loaf of bread. (laughs) I mean, God's just messing with him now. A rolling loaf of bread. You're Gideon, you're going into battle. Man, give me a sword. My son plays Call of Duty. I want to, you know, customize the thing. What if one pops up, you get to be bread? I want the bread. Whole wheat, please. He's showing us something. He's telling us something. Watch this. Don't forget this. Even if you are as soft and as weak As a loaf of bread. God with your faith. His grace can claim a great victory. So. What are you facing? What are you into? You believe. That God might be speaking to you in a way that you can understand. Through his word. Through people. Maybe through the circumstances that you're in. Maybe people have been talking for a long time and it's time to listen. Maybe he's even confirmed it and you're like, oh, no, that's stupid. That's stupid. If it matches with this and it matches what you're hearing with the still small voice, pay close attention. God loves to speak in new and creative ways, custom ways, just for you, just for you. Are you believing in God's grace or in your own strength? And I've preached grace and faith a long time. It doesn't matter. I still realize there's been things, there's been victories I've been trying to claim in my own strength. And God's saying, hey, softy, I got a better plan.
So we come to the time of the service where we're going to spend some time thinking about what God might be saying. So I'm going to ask you if you bow your heads with me. Both here and in Manistee, this is what we call reflection time. And by the way, this is not the time for you to sneak out the back. In fact, the doors are locked. There's armed guards there. They're armed with bread. But this is a time because, because we, we run from silence, especially after God's word has been broken. And I'm going to ask us a couple questions as we go to this time. Are you listening to the things that God has been saying to you through his word? Has he been speaking to you through people, not just preachers, but people around you? People that love you and have your best in their mind? Or through circumstances? Have you received God's grace? Are you trusting in his grace? Or are you trusting in your own way to win victories, to win battles? If you're not a Christian, now would be a great time to become one. If you've been far from God, now would be the time to maybe say, God, I need you back in my life. But what is God saying to you? Just take a moment. God, I thank you for speaking to us, for caring enough to whisper to our hearts through your word, through all the wonderful methods you use. God, I thank you that it's by your grace that we're saved. Would you make us people of faith that trust and obey whatever it is you're asking of us? God, help us not to steal your glory by ever looking at anything that we do. But may we boast only in how great you are, God. You are a great God who loves us. You're a great God who saves us. Your son promised, and it's in him that we believe and trust. It's in his name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Let's worship together.